Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson. America's facing several looming fiscal battles. Obviously, continued government funding, preventing cuts to Medicare, raising the debt ceiling. All those are going to be played out in the coming weeks and months. And, of course, this is happening as our nation's debt continues to climb ever higher with an interest rate also going up. Luckily, there are some people out there who are not just focused on the politics of all of this, but actually are focused on the principles and the policy uh, that actually can make a difference in all of these. So how can we change the game? How do we get things to actually improve? Uh, How can we reimagine American fiscal policy Uh, We're really pleased to have back on the program Angela Rashidi. She's a senior fellow and the Rose Scholar in Poverty Studies at the American Enterprise Institute. We had Angela on last week talking about upward upward mobility. Uh, And Angela, really pleased to have you on to talk about American Renewal, uh, launching a new conservative policy book uh, with uh, you and Paul Ryan are having that conversation and uh, leading that out. And appreciate you joining us back on the program. Uh, great to be with you again, Boyd. So let's let's dive into this. Uh, obviously, we live in this world of performative politics. We're seeing a lot of that today, for sure. Uh, and uh, very grateful for folks like you and Paul Ryan who are saying, if we get the policy right, the politics will take care of itself. Uh, but when it comes to some of these things, especially around fiscal policy, what are some of the things you're looking at? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And um, well, and just you know, before I answer your question, so all of this is. We are putting out not only an event this week, but it's based on a book that we've worked on over the past roughly year and a half. Um, former speaker Paul Ryan is a distinguished fellow at American Enterprise Institute, so he's a colleague of mine. Um, and I think we, what we were really trying to accomplish with it is to um, you know, recognize that there are some long-term fiscal needs uh, that the country is facing, um, and that there is some expertise, or there, as always, there is expertise out there to try to help policymakers address these major challenges. Um, and so some of the themes from the book, um, it's just as you mentioned, I mean, one, we know from the Congressional Budget Office that federal debt currently is as high as a percentage of uh, GDP as it's ever been. But even worse, it's projected to almost double over the next three decades. Um, and sometimes those numbers can kind of get thrown around and, and sort of your average uh, person or average listener doesn't really, um, you know, it, it's hard to contextualize what those numbers mean. Um, and in truth, we don't exactly know what they mean. Um, but a lot of economists are suggesting that if you keep running your budget um, in depth. 
constantly borrowing borrowing money just to meet current obligations, at some point <laughs> something is going to break. Um, and that's a very risky situation to be in, um, especially knowing that we just came out of a national emergency in terms of the pandemic, and we don't know what else is going to happen in the next Uh, the federal government gets its fiscal house in order or else it won't be able to meet its obligations to its citizens. Yeah, and and all of these are are just such crucial conversations that we just seem to keep uh, kicking that can down the road in in addressing any of them. Obviously, there's some significant ones coming up in the weeks ahead. Um, As you've looked at this over the the past year and put together this this playbook, uh, what are some of the things that uh, we should be doing immediately uh, in terms of addressing some of those those big ticket challenges and potential disasters? Well, that's an interesting question because we actually were were very careful to make the point that we were focusing more on the long term. Yes. Um, there certainly are, you know, short term needs. You mentioned the debt ceiling. There's other things that are happening, but we in this in this book we're really making the point that we can't always, or our federal policymakers can't always be operating just trying to put out fires. Yes, there needs to be structural changes in the long-term trajectory of some of our uh, programs um, in order to get fiscal health in order. So what those are, um, and they're the ones you, you know, you can imagine. It's Medicare. Um, it's really the entitlement programs. It's Medicare and it's Social Security. And those are not quick fixes. Um, and they're also not what's going to you know, make the headlines. And it's not going to necessarily win an election. It could lose an election, yeah, but right. it's not necessarily... <laughs> what people are going to are going to run um, their their campaigns on but they're so crucial if you think about sort of the long-term trajectory of our country um, and how imperative it is to have um, have the country on sound financial footing to set us up for the future so it is the entitlement programs it's medicare it's social security it's medicaid um, so we we have a whole section on health and retirement security and the importance of that. But we also, we really focus on what we call the social contract. So kind of this, um, you know, agreement between individual citizens and our government and and the expectations that they have. So it also includes the safety net, for example. So when people are facing financial struggles, that there is sort of a last, um, you know, a a safety net of last resort for them. And how do we set our set our federal government up to be to be have finances available for that if that happens? So it's the safety net, it's our education system, because that is so crucial for the long-term economic prosperity of our country. And then, um, of course, all of these uh, programs and efforts need to have a way to fund them, um, needs revenue. So we have a chapter on uh, tax reform. Uh, those are all such crucial things. And one of the things that I love about both you and, and former Speaker Paul Ryan is uh, you both have this great ability to see around corners and and into the future. Uh, and as you articulated it in terms of the short-term, short-sightedness of so many of the politicians, uh, just taking something like Social Security, we obviously saw that uh, politically speaking. Uh, you mentioned uh, making some reforms to that, making it sustainable so it doesn't go bankrupt uh, in a few years. And of course, uh, you get the you know pushing grandma off the cliff ad uh, in a in a political race, uh, as opposed to the reality of if we do nothing, then that is what will happen in the end. 
Uh, and so we have to have that different conversation. So how do we how do we get to that uh, part of the conversation? Doing it the long term, uh, as you said, it's the hard work, it's the heavy lifting, far away from cameras and social media, you know, tweets and uh, and memes and so on. How do we get to that policy conversation? Yeah, no, it is. I mean, that is the crucial question. Um, and I will say that just through the process of putting this book together. Um, the, the conversations we've had with the, even policymakers. I mean, there is an interest um, among our federal policymakers to solve these problems. They recognize that these problems exist, and there is an interest. Um, you know, again, it's not what makes the headlines, but there, there are a lot of serious people in Washington that are thinking through these problems and looking for solutions. Um, but that's what it, that's what it requires. It requires uh, you know, those people like at AEI that have studied these issues for really decades coming together with, um, you know, our representatives, our senators, um, their staff, uh, really having those difficult conversations and having some reality checks. Um, because as you mentioned, yet right now, Social Security is projected to run out of money in, I think it's 2035. Um, so that's, you know, only a decade away. So if nothing happens, Social Security will no longer be available. Um, And clearly, we're not going to let that happen as a country. But those discussions need to start. um, We need to start having those discussions now so that it doesn't become such a crisis when, you know, 2035 is only a year or two away. Um, and so I think that those convers- conversations um, are happening um, often behind the scenes. And we just hope that our effort, um, bringing scholars together, putting it, putting their ideas in one place can really help that move that conversation forward. Uh, that's fantastic. And uh, I know you're going to have a conversation about the book coming up uh, on the 17th this week, which I think uh, will be just a fascinating uh, look in to see how you're thinking about this, what that looks like. And uh, going back to the the point you just made, Angela, if we if we don't deal with these now, then we end up with really draconian problems uh, five years from now or ten years from now, where the only choices uh, are really harsh, and they always end up hurting the poor and the most vulnerable uh, the most. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Exactly. All right. And uh, anything else that you're looking at, or things that you wish people were thinking about uh, as it relates to some of these long-term things that, that we need to get to? Again, if we if we there's no, nothing more dangerous than just putting off what we can do today uh, until next time around. Kicking the can just doesn't cut it anymore. Yeah, the other major section um, in our book is focused on the safety net, and that's actually the chapter that I I wrote with uh, some colleagues and. And, you know, it's not, there's not as much money involved as the entitlement programs that I mentioned, but those programs are really crucial. And so these are programs for low-income Americans, those, you know, Americans who um, are struggling in terms of income uh, and are looking for a way to find some upward mobility. Um, and we propose a pretty dramatic restructuring of the, the multitude of programs that our f- current uh, federal government operates. Um, we, we estimate there's 80 or more uh, just that the federal government operates for low-income households. We propose a dramatic restructuring, um, consolidating programs, and really giving states uh, more flexibility in operating their safety net programs, but also requiring more accountability from states in terms of 
putting money um, uh, into the system uh, so they don't rely only on the federal government, but also focusing on uh, real results for families. So we're hopeful that that's kind of a nice um, you know, combination of not only addressing long-term economic security for people, but also helping the, the lowest-income Americans. Uh, fantastic. Angela Rashidi, Senior Fellow at American Enterprise Institute, uh, great uh, book with uh, Paul Ryan, American Renewal. These are all crucial conversations. We're going to continue those here on Inside Sources. Angela, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.